0: Uh, The next three weeks, I'd like to uh, entitle this series, uh, The Most Precious Gifts. The Most Precious Gifts. And uh, it happens that there's three, just like gold, frankincense, and myrrh, even though they're not gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, But we're going to talk about the most precious gifts, and we're going to talk about three different things from Scripture. Of course, November's over, so uh, all of of you who enjoy Thanksgiving, including me, and don't like the fact that uh, Christmas encroaches on Thanksgiving... It's over, so now we can have Christmas, if you are into that sort of thing. And of course, as that ends in, in Black Friday, the, the night of, the day of, starts people thinking about Christmas gifts and shopping and all that great stuff. And most of us have uh, some work to do, according to the American Research Group, as of November 21st, so maybe you've got some progress from, from this point, but only 36% of people have actually started their Christmas shopping. Of course... Uh, The actual act of Christmas shopping has changed dramatically over the last five years, and this could be why people are shopping later and later, is because the amount of online shopping has increased from about 37% five years ago to over half uh, this year. How many of you do online shopping? (laughs) There we go. If you were out on Black Friday, you may have actually noticed the difference in uh, everywhere people were saying, Uh, I could hear on the radio, people were talking about it, that that the crowds were a lot less and the the number one reason was not because people were buying less, but because people were just online shopping, saving themselves from uh, going to the store. The average person this year, and this is how I guess you can figure out if you're average or not, below average, above average, or just average, is going to spend roughly $929 this year on gifts. And that's exceeding $900 for the first time since 2006. $929 is the average of what people will spend on their gifts. And all of this is going to be done. They're going to spend that money. And in that, there's going to be this search. And it may not be for every person. Some people, you're like, you just need to walk in the Dollar Tree, close your eyes, and grab something, and you're good. (laughs) But with some people, you know, you have that search for just the right gift for that person. And especially with online shopping now, it's not like just going to the store, but there's thousands, if not millions, of options to purchase something. Uh, And and, and again, there's those certain people that we want to get just the right gift for. It's got to fit in our budget, uh, and it still brings happiness to the person that we're giving them to, like purchasing a star in their name. It's a fantastic gift, isn't it? (laughs) I'm sure that we've all received some gifts that were uh, the perfect gift. <coughs> I'm sure you've received imperfect gifts as well. Uh, the gift where, you know, you've, you, that fake excitement that you've practiced before, you suddenly have to put into practice as you open that gift up and think, what in the world was that person thinking? And then you realize you are the recipient of the person who closed their eyes on the dollar tree and gave it to you. How many of you have got, you've got one specific gift that you remember from Christmas? I, for me, it was when I was seven years old. I haven't got a perfect gift since. <laughs> it was Astro Wars. It was my first video game. And it was this big box with a little silver joystick and a button. And the little spaceship. And man, I got behind the couch. And I ran the batteries out pretty quick. Because it was battery. I mean, and I actually still have Astro Wars. It doesn't work anymore. But that was... That was just that was the beginning and it's led all the way to my children being addicted to video games now, I guess. Started with Astro Wars. And and really when we get that that gift that we've just that that we've wanted, whether it's at Christmas or a birthday or whatever, someone just gives us a gift. And it's that right, I mean it's just exactly what we wanted. It becomes something cherished, just like my A Team van on my fifth birthday. That was the greatest thing ever, as well, was the A Team van. And I don't know if you've ever watched the A Team, the classic T V show. If you have it, then your life is devoid of, well, I'll just say this, I pity the fool. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> but I mean, they, they like do crazy stuff. So I thought the a van that I received was just like the real a van, indestructible. And man, I would just take the thing and just throw it against the wall and do all kinds of stuff. And that was a big disappointment when I realized that my a van was not indestructible. And I had to finally trash it, but I got a lot of use out. It was something that was cherished. It was my favorite toy. Probably worth a lot of money now, huh? Well, anyway, just for those. Well, I won't go off on from that tangent. A toy is meant to be played with. Well, anyway, um, but you have something that's cherished, and even if it, even if by three months later it's forgotten, you know there was that moment when you cherished that gift. And and what I'm going to talk about over the next few weeks is, is Scripture tells us. Uh, and we find many things in scripture that are given to us but out of all of them there's three things that, that scripture tells us are the most precious gifts. Things that you and I should hold in esteem and value above all else. They're the 18th van of the Bible. There's, there's one word in scripture that's used in relation to these gifts and, and it's, it's translated precious but it, this particular word it, uh, it, it, means, uh, it, it also includes the comparative and the superlative, which means more precious and most precious. So when it applies this word to something, it doesn't just mean that it's precious. It means it's the most precious thing. Many times in Scripture, it's used to describe jewels or ornamentation. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read where uh, it tells us that some people build their houses with wood, hay, or stubble. And then there's other people... With stubble, um, and then there's other people that build their houses with gold, silver, and precious jewels. It says with valuable things, uh, and so and that's what lasts when it goes through the fire. That's that's uh, their, when their when their house is, has gone through the fire. They're the ones that come out tried, and so it's used of something that's very va- not just valuable but extremely valuable, extremely precious, and, and it refers to something that we should hold in, in honor or high esteem, something that is dear. Really, these are the things that are supposed to be at the top of the list of things that are important in your life. And really, as as we talk about them, uh, hopefully they won't be a shock to you, but I want to remind you of these things, especially at this time of year. And, and uh, I hope I can fit all this in, but We'll just get started. The first one that I want to look at this week is the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. And there, there is no challenge in this lesson. There is no catch to this lesson. I hope that this lesson and, and next week especially are simply an encouragement to you. Because these are things that you and I possess, are precious things in our life. And, and I simply want to remind you of how precious they are. And so the first thing, like I said, is the blood of Jesus Christ. And we find this called precious in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. It says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I want to remind you this morning that the blood of Jesus Christ is a very precious gift that you and I have. And, and, and what I want to do today, there, there's, there's a number of, we, we know that the blood of Jesus is precious. Uh, but what I want to do this morning is to look at some of the reasons why his blood is so precious, getting beyond the knowledge that we know it is, but why is it so precious in our life? And again, many of these things, we may uh, look at these different aspects at different points in our life and, and think about them at different times, but I want to bring all of these together this morning, all of these aspects of why the blood is so precious and bring them all together so that we grasp a full understanding of how powerful and how precious His blood is. The first reason that His blood is so precious is because it redeems in our life. The verse that we just read, in fact the verse before, we're going to read both of them together. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spots, or without spot, not spots. But there are two words used in Scripture that describe our redemption. One means to pay a price or to buy, as in a marketplace, you're walking through the marketplace and and you redeem something, it means you simply purchase it. And the other word that's used for redemption means to liberate by paying a ransom, to release or to deliver. Now we realize that our lives are redeemed, and Paul tells us twice in 1 Corinthians in different places there, That we are not our own, but you and I are bought with a price. And I think it would do us well to remember that in our lives, that we are bought with a price. And that price that was paid is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 5 says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Now these verses here in Revelation and in First Peter, they describe to us the fact that the blood paid, the blood shed by Jesus Christ was a ransom paid that none of us could ever pay on our own. And I know I've said it many times before, but recognizing that fact right off, that the first thing the blood did in our life that makes it precious to me is it paid a debt that I could never pay off by myself. First Peter tells us that it was paid off with something that was incorruptible. He said, you've tried the corruptible things. You've tried traditions of your fathers. You've tried to uphold the law. You've tried to do everything just right and have all the right ceremonies. But that was not enough to redeem your soul. It had to be the spotless Uh, Without blemish lamb, his blood that was shed for you and I is the only thing that could redeem our soul. He was the only one that was willing to pay the price for you. Now that's important to remember because there's a lot of things that would like to grab your time that would like to grab your energy, that would like to pull you a number of different ways, but there's only one thing in this world that was willing to pay the price for your soul, and it was Jesus Christ. And I need to remember that. As my mind tries to go 60 different directions, and life tries to pull me a bunch of ways, I need to remember that my job did not pay the price for me. My education did not pay the price for me. Nothing else paid the price, was willing to pay it, except Jesus Christ. And when he paid that price, he set me free. He ransomed me from the bondage and the slavery of sin. And now, now I want us to, to get right from the outset, too, that we need to understand that Jesus, when he died on the cross and he shed his blood, at that moment that his blood was shed, he ransomed the world. Okay? He didn't. Now, as we know it in the New Testament, uh, as far as a new birth, nobody had gone through a new birth experience. So so that doesn't even come into it. But when he died, he ransomed the world. When he died, he paid the price for every person. Now understand, that is a finished work. His redemption is a finished work. He does not continue to redeem. As far as he keeps, uh, uh, you know, as someone comes to the Lord, he redeems them. No, the, the work of redemption continues. But at that moment, redemption was finished. He redeemed everyone. So understanding that fact uh, and understanding the power of the blood of Jesus Christ in that he redeemed every person. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 says, even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now understand that now, because that, that changes that, that has to change, uh, how I think about things. And honestly, uh, the next three weeks, the things that we're going to look at, I uh, started out by going to preach it Wednesday night, and then I was like, hmm, I could probably do this for three weeks. Probably better not try and do it in one night, Brother Smith. And uh, now, now, that I'm, <laughs> now that I'm talking about the blood, uh, I'm like, man, I could probably do 90 weeks on the blood. But understand uh, what this does, because sometimes we hear words. Uh, Like when your wife's talking and they go in your ear and you nod and agree, but you don't have any comprehension of what was just spoken. (sighs) Brother Bill's never done that. (laughs) The blood cleanses us from all of our sins, all of our lies, Brother Bill. It washes us. (laughs) 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for that moment right there. But if his blood, if it was one work in that Jesus does not die again for every person that comes, so if it was one moment, this is redemption on the cross, technically, every person is redeemed. everybody, no matter what they're doing right now, is redeemed. Now that seems kind of crazy, but we're going to move on from this in just a minute, and we'll see the the difference between everybody being redeemed, and there being a difference between somebody who's trying to live for God and somebody who doesn't care for God, but they are all redeemed, okay? Now, now this, this should change my attitude. I don't know if it should change yours, but it changes my attitude in that when I approach someone who doesn't even uh, care about God, I need to view them as somebody who has been redeemed. Now, the problem is, because technically that's how it works, but in my mind, redeemed means goes to church, lives for God. No, redemption was a one-time act, and every person was redeemed. He paid the price for everybody at that moment. That's what redemption means. He ransomed everybody. Okay? So understand that in, in our minds... That, I don't know if it might change how you see people, but in my mind, it, that, that has an effect on me because I now have to look at everyone as somebody who's been redeemed. Now, I can understand that Jesus loves everybody, but when I look at somebody and say, that person is redeemed, that should change my, my attitude somehow. So Jesus Christ redeemed. His blood redeemed the entire world. And, and we find in Hosea what he redeemed us from. In Hosea thirteen fourteen he says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from my eyes. His blood is precious to me this morning because of redemption. And he redeemed everyone. And he redeemed me from something in particular. He redeemed me from the power of sin. And then Hosea tells me he redeemed me from the power of the grave. And he redeemed me from the power of death. That was a mighty victory that Jesus Christ won that day. And in fact, he says, O death, now I will be your plague. Grave, now I will be your destruction. In the New Testament, it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And and in one of the greatest, I think one of the greatest phrases in Scripture, when When it says that he led captivity captive, that he took the things that would try to hinder and bind us that had the world in captivity and he led them captive. Just like he will destroy the grave and just like he is a plague unto death. And so he redeemed us from those things. If he had not redeemed me, I could not have a hope of heaven. If his blood was not shed, I could not lift my hands and think about what a great day that will be when I will see him one day. That would not be possible without the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that his blood redeemed me. And, and uh, I, I would encourage you, because this, again, is is by no means an exhaustive study about the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to try and, and hit these points, and I'm already behind. Um, but it, it's amazing what the blood of Jesus Christ does for us. So His blood redeems. The next thing is His blood brings forgiveness. And this is where the change comes in. So Christ ransomed the world. He redeemed the world. Yet not everybody is saved or will be saved. <coughs> Because as powerful as the shedding of blood was, as powerful as the cross was, as powerful as His blood is in redemption and that it ransomed everybody, it's not enough to save you. If His blood was enough to save you, everyone would be saved. Okay? Now, I know that, that seems a little strange to say. He made a way out of sin... But that doesn't mean that everybody has taken the way out of sin. Okay? Romans 3.24 says, being justified freely by His grace. So that means the the work that He did on the cross, He did it of His own free will and by His grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time... I say, I say, I say, boy... At this time, (laughs) probably the best thing for me to do is to turn my brain off when I'm talking. (laughs) Or at least read my notes more carefully and get all that out of my system. (laughs) To declare, Skip, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, This verse tells us that his redemption is for all, yet, in verse 25, it tells that I must do something for the blood to have the power of redemption in my own life. I must have, it says there in verse 25, faith in his blood, for there to be a propitiation in my life. The blood is of no effect until I have faith in the blood. If the name of Jesus just had all-encompassing power without anything on my part, then every time someone used the name of the Lord in vain, something would happen. My faith in the power of the name of Jesus combined with the power of the name of Jesus does something. He redeemed everybody, yet not everybody has experienced redemption because not everybody has faith in in His blood. So I've got to have faith in His blood. But his blood brings forgiveness, and this is the connection where it now does something in my life. Because until I, I, until I had faith in the blood, the blood did not have an effect in my life. Okay? Now, propitiation, that word in there, it's the same word that's used to describe the lid of the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. It's the same word. And it has to do with mercy. The lid, that was the mercy seat when they would put the lid on. That act of putting the lid on was called propitiation. And that mercy had now been applied. Mercy was now settled. When I have faith in the blood, that's when mercy is enacted in my life. If I want mercy in my life, I can't just have the blood because everybody has the blood. Because everybody has been redeemed in one act. But I must combine my faith in the blood with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And believe that his sacrifice meant something. And believe that His blood can do something in my life, and when it's when it, I combine that together, when I do that, it is at that moment that His blood has the power to now not just redeem me, but it has the power to forgive or to remit my sins. Ephesians one six says, "To the praise of the glory of His grace, when He hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches." Of his grace. So I have redemption through his blood. But now, when I put my faith in his blood and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've been going my own way. That's not right. I want to follow after you. I believe that your sacrifice means something in my life today, that it's not a story from 2,000 years ago, but your blood can affect me today. All of a sudden, I receive his forgiveness in the now. That's how the cross still has effect, is when I ask his forgiveness, and when I ask his forgiveness, he is faithful and true to forgive me of my sins, and that happens by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 26 says, And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to him, saying, Drink ye all of it. Drink it all up. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, again, this, this, uh, when you start looking, this can get really deep because we have baptism, which is for the remission of our sins. And I believe that you should have repented before you're baptized because together they work together to remit your sins, the water and the blood. When they pierced Jesus' side, what came out? Water and blood. It's a combination that works for the remission of sins, and that can go way off somewhere else, and we're just not going to go there. Hebrews 9.22 says, "...and almost all things are by the law purged with blood." And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So His blood is there. It's the foundation. It's redeemed everybody. But I enact His forgiveness. I enact the blood in my life when I put my faith in the blood. And when I do that, He will forgive me. I'm thankful not only that He redeemed my soul, but I'm thankful that I can find forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because you know what? He could have redeemed my soul, but I could still live with all of that stuff still. But I come to an altar and enact his forgiveness, and it does something within me. It cleanses me, and it leads me to the next point. His forgiveness, what's involved with the blood coming into my life, is it now cleanses my conscience too. Now this is very important. And again, I could spend uh, more time on each of these, so I apologize if it seems like I'm rushing through it, because you know what? I am. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 9 says, Which was a figure for the time when present, then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices. They could not make him which did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. How much more shall the blood of Christ, which through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And in the verse we read before, in Hebrews 9.22, it mentions that the law was purged with blood. Now, this is important for us to understand. Because uh, everyone, can ex- everyone has redemption in their life. I receive forgiveness when I put my faith in the blood. And believe that it can do what the scripture says it will do. Now, that's, Im- that's very important. For us to understand that. Because that means if I come to the Lord. If I come to an altar and I believe that I've been too bad for God to forgive me, His blood cannot work in my life. It's available, but it can't work. Okay, So I have to believe that and put my faith in His blood. That if His blood is supposed to forgive all sins, then I believe that it can forgive all sins. And then, it, then I have to believe this, that it cleanses my conscience. Okay, Now that's very important too. And, and, and i I'll, I'll just throw the word out there, and I'll preach about it. Uh, tied with cleansing our conscience is the word condemnation So when I, the blood does not wash my memory, but it can cleanse me, and it can purge my conscience. and these These are all things that in connection with the blood that it can do. and I would say that this is something where people struggle with it. They know that they are redeemed because everybody's redeemed. They have, uh, they have faith in the blood that it can forgive, but they've stopped the blood from cleansing their conscience. The, again, this doesn't mean that you forget everything that you did before, but, but when we allow our conscience or condemnation to work, it can enslave us even after we've gone through a new birth experience. Our conscience is what condemns us. And in and, and the verse, we, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. So, so uh, there, there, our own flesh still works within us, condemning us. And I know there's people in here, I, well, I, I know myself, and, and if you're telling the truth, there's probably stuff in your past that, that if you allowed it, it would condemn you. And you know what? It should condemn you. You know, the only thing that stops it from condemning you should be the blood of Jesus Christ. So I need to know that the blood is not going to allow condemnation in my life. And then I have to put my faith in that fact. And that's difficult. It's difficult sometimes to not allow things to condemn me in my own life. But it says that the blood of Jesus can purge your conscience. Man, that's fantastic. And there's people in here that you've experienced what it felt like to purge your conscience. That you, it wasn't that you weren't saved but all that stuff from your past it just kept rehashing and rehashing and he kept worrying about it and wondering about this and that and, and and the blood of Jesus Christ can purge that in your life i'm thankful that it can do that this this word purge is the same word that that you know when you read in the, in, in scripture and they would go to the priest and the priest would declare them clean They were ceremonially ceremonially clean. That means they can now enter the temple. The lepers, when they were cleansed, the ten lepers, what were they on their way to do? They were on their way to to the priest to see if they were clean, and they discovered that the Lord had healed them. One returned to give thanks, but they were on their way to the priest because until that point they could not enter the temple as a leper. They were on their way to see if they were clean. And there's they were still Jews, they were still Israelites. They were still the nation of God, and there's people that are still Christians, but you, 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 can't, you won't let yourself enter into the temple of God because of your conscience, because you've never been cleansed or purged by the blood of Jesus Christ. I challenge you today to allow the blood of Jesus Christ to purge your conscience. That you know what? That doesn't mean that you now celebrate in what you used to do, but let me, oh, we'll have to skip all the way to the end. Well, that's good. Then we can just quit. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and what else? Let me tell you what. I've never had a word of testimony when I've been living in condemnation. Until my mind's been cleansed and purged, I don't have a testimony. People sit there, I know I'm saved, but boy, I just... I, I. You need a testimony, and the only way you can get a testimony is when the blood's already overcome it. That's done. That's settled. He died on a cross over 2,000 years ago. He ransomed you. You've received forgiveness in your life. He's cast it as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness. It's your own mind that needs cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when my mind is cleansed, that's when I can step up and say, you know what? He gave me the victory over that. That's in my past. That's, if you would, under the blood. It always was under the blood you just didn't have faith that it was. That's the deal. Anyway. What time is it? My goodness. 45 more points. Okay. So we he, he cleanses our it cleanses our conscience. So it's about redemption. His blood redeems, his love his blood forgives. His his blood cleanses our conscience. His blood heals. His blood heals. Isaiah 53 and verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. It wasn't just the stripes on his back. It wasn't that they drew lines on his back and said, look at those stripes. No, it was the blood that was shed by those stripes when they were placed on his back that you and I can receive healing in our life today. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 said, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Now, uh, Peter is writing, when he writes his, his, his book, he writes it to slaves because there was a, a big Christian movement amongst the slaves, especially in Rome. And we find in chapter 3 of First Peter that he deals with uh, submission and dealing with masters and their slaves. And so he's writing to slaves that understand what stripes were. They understand the pain, the anguish. They understand that blood was shed. And so he's correlating with this to say uh, Jesus Christ went through the same thing, only the difference between you receiving stripes and his, him receiving stripes is that his blood is able to heal you as well. And, and, and we know that his blood heals, but this is taking everything together to understand how precious his blood is. I'm thankful for the healing power of God. I'm thankful that, that when I'm sick, that when there's things going on, that I can call on the blood of Jesus Christ to heal me. It's not just for my salvation for a spiritual need, but my physical needs can be met by the blood of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that we remain near because of the, of the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 says that at that time you were without Christ, (coughs) being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ, for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was a gulf that separated us from God. It was sin. It separated us. There was no peace between God and man. And yet it was because of the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ that we were drawn into him. If you would, his blood was magnetic. It drew you and I into him. Whether we wanted to or not, we were made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I can choose to walk away, I can choose to ignore it, but the blood of Jesus Christ drew me closer to God than I ever was before, whether I cared about God or not. And I'm thankful that His blood drew me near. Because I was a stranger, it says I was an alien, I was an outsider. Now I know that I'm a pilgrim, now I know that I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and now I know that I'm a son or a daughter and heir, and all of that was made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. The reason that I can have an inheritance waiting for me in heaven, the reason that I can look forward to that, is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Before the blood was shed, I had no hope like that. I was destined to be separated and far from God. His blood drew me near. And it says that now He is our peace. His blood made peace possible between me and God. And because of that peace, I now have access. His blood gives me access today. It drew me near, but it wasn't enough just to draw me close. But He now gave me access into the very presence of God. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Having therefore brethren, boldness, to enter into the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, that through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, that by his blood he made a way possible for you and I to have access. Now we know this. We know what it was like in the Old Testament times. We know that the high priest could only go in once a year. We know all that, but it's, it's... it's, it's uh, too difficult for us to comprehend as we come to church every week, twice a week, and we hear the Word of God and we can read our Bible, we can pray whenever we want. It, it's really impossible for us to understand the reality of, of one person seeing God once a year. It's just, just beyond our comprehension to understand that. Yet somehow we need to grasp the fact, I believe, that we have access into the throne room of God. That at any point, at any time, and it doesn't have to be a church time, it doesn't have to be a spiritual moment, but you and I have access into the throne room of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That means that whenever crisis hits, that means that whenever I just want to worship, that means that whenever I want to get in touch with God, I can That's a valuable thing that we can't lose, that we need to understand that the blood of Jesus Christ made that way available for you and I. I would like, I don't want his, one verse says to make his blood of no effect. I don't want to make his, that means I just ignore what the blood did for me. I don't want to ignore the fact that it made it possible for me to walk in this place and lift my hands. And it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. I can access the throne room all by myself or we can do it all together. And something powerful can happen. What it means is I can enter the Holy of Holies. And what was the key thing about the Holy of Holies? It was where the glory of God was. What someone could only experience once a year was so powerful that they tied a rope to his ankle with a bell because it might kill him. It was that powerful. That's like, well, let's see, what stupid illustration could I come up with? I don't know. I can't even think of one. Something that's so dangerous, but now you and I have the ability to walk into that place that, that in, in Scripture, it, you know, we're supposed to fear the Lord. Almost every time in the Old Testament it uses that, it doesn't just mean, well, I really respect the Lord. No, they were flat out scared. It was like gnashing their teeth, knees knocking, I'm scared. Like they were wondering when that priest walked in, is this the last time I'm going to see him? We don't think that when we walk in church. And we're not supposed to because we have access. It's not supposed to be some death-defying thing that you walked in here this morning and you wonder if you'll leave. No, but that's the power that is potentially present in this room that we have access to. If we decide to access the glory of God, we have access to it whenever we want. I want the glory of God to settle on this place today. You know what would transform this community? Is if they saw the glory of God. Ephesians 3.12 says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Let me tell you just, and I've, I've probably said it before, but you can't have boldness to go into His presence if your conscience hasn't been purged. You'll probably barely make it in with your head hanging down. But we have boldness and access into the presence of God because of His blood. And it's not just because of His blood, but because of my faith in His blood. It says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Let me just say this. You have as much access into the presence of God as you have faith. You know what? My faith will only take me as far as I want to go. If, I, if my faith says, you know what? You're cleansed. You're, you're clean. You're, you, I, you know you're not worthy in and of yourself, but the blood has made you worthy. Then I can go as far into the throne room as I want to. But if I don't really believe he's cleansed me, if I don't really believe he can cover my sin, if I don't really believe he's purged me, you know what? I'm just going to be hanging around unconfident. When your conscience starts to crowd out your faith, it limits your access to God. But he shed his blood so that you and I can enter his throne room whenever I want. His blood sanctifies me. Sanctifies me. Hebrews thirteen twelve says, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. He went outside of the city of Jerusalem to be crucified, and this has significance to the Old Testament, in that they understood he went outside of the temple, he went into the place of the Gentiles. Sanctification really just means his blood is what allows me to be holy. You see, in the Old Testament, whenever the blood was applied to something, it made it holy. When the blood is applied to my life, it makes me holy. It sanctifies me. The reason that he suffered without the gate was so that he could make the unholy holy. So that he could make you and I who had no place, no, no right, no, no, nothing within us to allow us to enter into his presence, to receive forgiveness, to receive redemption. He did it outside the gate in the place of disrepute. In the place that was unworthy, unholy. He did it there so that we could be made holy. Holy. He applied His blood to the unholy and made it holy. Galatians 3.13 said, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. He became the curse for you and I. He suffered without the gate for you and I, so that you don't have to. You don't have to stay in a place of unholiness, of unrighteousness, of unworthiness, but His blood made a way for you to enter into what was holy. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifying, sanctified to the purifying. So he says, If if all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament, the, the sacrifices of bulls and goats and, and all of that allowed people to enter into the temple, if that, if that classified them as clean, he asks this question: if that was the case, how much more shall the blood of Christ? who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. His blood sanctifies us and makes us holy. If, if in the Old Testament, uh, killing a lamb or a bull or whatever allowed someone to enter into the Holy of Holies, how much more does the spotless, sinless sacrifice in his blood, uh, the blood of Jesus Christ, allow you and I to be made holy? I'm thankful that the blood of Jesus Christ can make me holy. And here's the deal. His blood made me holy. So you know what? I want to continue in holiness. Because the way the blood flows is towards holiness. If I'm not holy in my life, and I'm not just talking about dress, but I'm talking in my attitudes, I'm talking in my thoughts, I'm talking in my spirit, if I'm not holy, it's leading me away from what the blood should be doing in my life. The blood should lead me towards holiness. His blood redeems. His blood forgives. We find cleansing of our, or purging of our conscience through the blood of Jesus Christ. We find healing for our bodies through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are made near by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have access by the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood sanctifies me or makes me holy. You know, the only reason I can walk in here and lift up holy hands is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not just because... This is why you can have all the outward adornments and not be holy. Because you can be outwardly holy. Well, I don't even know if it's called holiness if you don't have the blood, because only the blood can make you holy. You can look like what you might say an apostolic is supposed to look like, but if the blood's not there, it's not holy. If I don't have his blood flowing in my life, it's not holy. And the last thing this morning, I'm going to make it even though I rush through it. The last thing this morning, we already touched on a little bit, is that his blood conquers. His blood conquers. His blood can bring victory in my life. It's what started out as the disciples didn't realize it as they see Jesus hanging on a cross and they're weeping and they go in hiding. They didn't realize the very thing that they were mourning was the very thing that would bring them victory in their life. The blood of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12:11 says, "And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death." We already mentioned about having a testimony. Yes, it's a combination, but my testimony's not enough. I've got to have the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I applied the blood to my life and I allowed the blood to give me a testimony and, and and all that working in combination, I can have victory in my life because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We think, we think sometimes that, that you know, we just remember it on communion and stuff, but every day the blood can allow us to have victory in our life. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil." Understand this. You think the devil's coming against you? Hebrews tells us that the blood has the power, and it took the power of the devil. It comes back to the blood has the power of the devil. It has power over him. It doesn't have the power of the devil. It has power over him. If the blood has the power over the devil, and yet the enemy's still attacking me, let me challenge you this morning. I told you it wouldn't be challenged. Let me challenge you this morning then. I'll throw one in there. Maybe it's not the blood that has an issue. Maybe it's your faith in the blood. Because his blood's already won the victory. His blood already defeated the enemy you know what I need to do? I need to overcome by the blood which is already there, it's already done, it's already accomplished, and the word of my testimony. My testimony can simply be, you know what, I don't know how it's going to work out, I don't know what's going to take place, I don't see any solution, but I have faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's my testimony this morning, is that I believe in the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe it can save my kids, I believe it can heal my body, I believe it can forgive all sins, I believe I can have access, even though it doesn't It doesn't matter what I've done this week. When I come to him, he is faithful and true to forgive me. And then I can lift my hands and worship and praise him. That's what his blood can do in my life. I'm thankful for his blood in my life. It's a precious gift that I have in my life. I think it's important for us to remember some of these things. Because we know the blood of Jesus is in our life. But put all this together, it amazes me at how much the blood of Jesus Christ does for me. Last thing, I close with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. And he said this, I know what the devil will say to you. He will say to you, you're a sinner. Tell him you know you are, but that for all of that, all your sins, you are justified. He'll tell you then of the greatness of your sin. Tell him of the greatness of Christ's righteousness. He will tell you of all your mishaps and your backslidings, of your offenses and your wanderings. Tell him and tell your own conscience That you know all that, but that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and that, although your sin be great, Christ is able to put it all away. You know what? He has victory over the devil. He's already conquered all of that. And when he comes against you, you just say, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done bad stuff. I know all my faults and failings, but his blood is enough to cover all of that. And you know what? I choose to have faith in the blood today. I'm not going to listen to the enemy. I'm not going to listen to what people are saying. I'm not even going to listen to my own conscience and what it's trying to tell me. Because it will work against me. I choose this morning to say, you know what? I have faith in the redeeming, powerful blood of Jesus Christ. Why don't we stand this morning? (laughs) And at the close of this, I simply want us to just thank the Lord... his blood. I pray this morning has been an encouragement to you in some way to realize the gift that you have in your life, and I want us to thank the Lord for the gift of his blood in our life. He didn't have to shed it, and it didn't have to do all those things, yet he allowed all of that into my life. Lord Jesus, we come before you so thankful to be here.